reflective reflections and some exercises. And maybe um, I'll just leave it at that, just kind of really high level, what you can expect. We're doing some guided meditation, a little sutta study, some breakout groups, and Kim and I will give a little bit of talks. And I think with that, I'll turn it over to Kim, who can then start us off. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Diana. And um, yeah, I wanted to give kind of an overview of the value of asking questions and the skill, like how to do so skillfully, which is something that will unfold, of course, much more over the coming sessions that we have. But um, this course is called the Dharma Life, and there isn't just one Dharma Life. It's something that we each discover through our own practice, and we discover it through cultivation, through walking the path. It's, it's a sort of a learn-by-doing method. And so our proposal to you at the outset, as Diana just said, is that asking questions is a valuable skill in walking the path. Asking questions contrasts with various other ways that we could be that are less helpful. So for example, being passive or just expecting answers to be given to us um, or being mired in doubt or trying to control or engineer our experience in some way. Um, having this stance of inquiry and openness is actually a very beautiful approach that we can take to walking the path. And there's this lovely quote from Albert Einstein, who said, uh, the important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existing. One cannot help but be in awe when he contemplates the mysteries of eternity, of life, of the marvelous structure of reality. It is enough if one tries merely to comprehend a little of this mystery every day. Now, of course, he was a scientist and that was also in 1955, so it had the male pronoun, but nonetheless, we can kind of get the sense of what he was aiming at, is this sense of, wow, what is this life? And how can we um, align ourselves with it in some way that helps it unfold more deeply? So this approach of investigation is you know, relevant both on and off the cushion. And it also has a way of unifying our experience on the cushion and off, which is something that people often want more of in their practices. How can these feel more unified for me? We can begin to feel that the practice is not so different, whether our eyes are open or closed, and whether we're silent or interacting with people. Probably we've all learned by now that life is not always straightforward. We aren't necessarily given a clear road that's understandable logically, nor are we given a stable situation that always feels like it's reliable emotionally. So life is complex, it's sometimes messy, it's sometimes painful. And to navigate, we need to develop skill in somehow holding our options open, seeing clearly what's there, and then feeling how to move into the next thing, move forward into one of the options that we have. So these techniques of inquiry and navigating the path can be, that can be found in the Buddhist teachings encourage this kind of open stance that is neither passive nor controlling. Um, 
I found I was inspired by this quote from the very beginning of the Samyutta Nikaya, where there's a deva talking to the Buddha. And he says, um, how, dear sir, did you cross the flood? And the Buddha says, by not halting, friend, and by not straining, I crossed the flood. And the deva doesn't quite understand and says, but how is it? How, how did that work? And the Buddha explains, when I came to a standstill, then I sank. But when I struggled, then I got swept away. So it is in this way that by not halting and by not straining that I crossed the flood. So this is interesting that this is the very first discourse of the Samyutta Nikaya. So it kind of, which is a collection of teachings for more experienced practitioners who are wanting to move toward awakening. And this is the, somehow was chosen as the opening sutta for this whole long discourse of, this whole long collection of discourses about uh, awakening. So Diane is going to have more to say about how we engage with questions later in this session. But I think it's kind of a tantalizing beginning is that there's some balance there. So it, it happens that not just any question is useful for inquiry in Buddhist practice. And this is, um, there's another sutta, MN2, that gives a set of unhelpful questions. And I don't know if I'm going to get through all of them because there sure are a lot, but they, they go something like this. Was I in the past? Was I not in the past? What was I in the past? How was I in the past? Having been what, what was I in the past? Shall I be in the future? Shall I not be in the future? And so forth. Um, and then, or we could be inwardly perplexed about the immediate moment. Am I? Am I not? What am I? How am I? Where has this being come from? Where is it bound? So these are kind of general sounding questions, but if we look at our questions that were, when we're sort of wound up thinking about ourselves, they're often of this type, you know, what's going to happen? What am I going to turn into next year? Or, you know, oh, ruminating about that thing in the past. How was I in the past? Was I smart enough? Was I, did I say the right thing? Oh gosh. And, you know, and the, the Buddha essentially says that when we get wrapped up in these kinds of questions, we're not attending appropriately to our experience. So there's nothing immoral about any of those questions, but they're just not helpful according to the way the, the Buddha wanted to teach. So the natural question then is maybe what is a good question? And this is something that will unfold over several sessions. Uh, but for now, we might say that good questions are practical or immediate. They're sort of relevant for our situation now. And they're also what's called onward leading. So they, they have a way of keeping things open or of allowing us to move forward in some way. Um, so they pertain to the current conditions and then they extend toward future conditions that either reduce suffering or conduce to freedom. That's what onward leading would, would imply. So questions are not neutral in and of themselves or in the way we ask them. The very way that we ask a question affects what kind of answer we can receive. And so we're always asking somehow from within our current understanding, but to be onward leading, we hope that the answer might change our understanding in some way, lead us on. So as kind of a mundane example of how our mind influences this whole process, we can imagine a case where we, um, we want a car, we need to get a car. And so our old car is broken and we need a replacement. 
So as soon as we have that idea in our mind, oh, how can I get a car? Or what should a car should I get? Then we start noticing all the cars, right? Every car you see out there, you think, oh, how about that? No, too big. You know, something like that, right? And so we notice the cars that have for sale signs on them that we probably wouldn't have noticed before. So our whole perception and attention and mind have been shaped by the fact that we have this question of what kind of car should I get or how should I get a car? So in the spiritual realm, then we also have questions. They might pertain to awakening, to compassion, ethics, wisdom, um, and then as those are relating to our very life right now, you know, how can I deal with this situation somehow? Um, our life of Dharma, you know, we have questions about that. So there is a way of holding questions that helps possibilities emerge that will be relevant for our life by opening to the teachings that, you know, that we're going to study in this class we can help the Dharma life unfold more fully and pervade more of our life and feel more unified on and off the cushion. So the encouragement in this course is to start to walk this path by this method of asking, staying open, and then moving forward, step by step, learning to walk. Maybe the last thing I'll say though is that despite all this focus on questions, 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 Inquiry doesn't always equate to having a clear question that you can articulate as a question. It's actually more subtle than that, isn't it? Sometimes our questions are explicit and can be articulated, but other times there's just more of a sense of a feeling or a direction or um, an inclination of the heart. Uh, maybe we don't feel like we have questions. I went for years in my practice without asking a teacher a question. I liked going to Dharma groups. I liked hearing other people's questions, but I didn't feel like I really had questions exactly. But somehow I was investigating. My practice was not at all standing still. Something in me was bringing me there, was um, having me do certain practices. So don't worry. Your heart is somehow investigating, even if you think you don't have questions. Um, so don't worry also that suddenly, oh my gosh, this course isn't for me. I don't feel like I have questions right now. Actually, just follow along and it will be fine. Um, there's many ways that we are, we're, we're bringing ourselves to the Dharma in many different ways. So you don't have to have explicit questions. In the upcoming sessions, we're gonna um, work with inquiry in various ways, internally, uh, with each other, in our daily life, in between sessions, we'll have some suggestions for practices to do. So it should be fun. We're going to be grounded in the sutta teachings for the most part, but we're also going to be a little creative. So that's, um, yeah, maybe a general introduction. So with that, um, we can go on breakout groups. Yeah. So Kim, can you uh, say the list again that you had for um, a good question? I remember it ended with onward leading, but there was a, a number. The first was practical or immediate. And the second was onward leading. These are very general. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So for a breakout room, this will um, they'll be, be in groups of four. And Kim, I put you in your own room and I'll, I'll join you there. Just Okay. And um, here is, you have, a, let's see, 14 minutes. So between the four of you, and there's two things you can do. One is just to discuss what is the difference in your own mind, in your own experience between investigation 
and question, having a particular question. What, what is the difference? Maybe you'll discover that there isn't one, or maybe you'll uh, see that there is one for you or something that you can um, explore together. And if you feel like it, you can also share, like what is a question that you have? Maybe for you, it's really clear. As soon as we started talking about this, um, there is a particular question and you don't have to share your deepest, darkest secrets, of course. So if it feels comfortable, maybe you could say, yeah, you know, I've had some questions about awakening. I've had some questions about if I'm gonna go further on this path, do I have to renounce everything and um, uh, live in, in robes or, you know, I don't know, I'm just making these up, of course, right? So if you might have a question that's clear. So two things, one, the relationship between investigation and question, just for you how, how that is. And if you have a question, uh, what the region is or what that question is. So um, we'll do this in um, a way that we, uh, we can work together. So that when it's your turn to speak, there's no need to say everything you have to say on this topic. Just say one or two points, just a few sentences. And then it can go to the next person. They'll say just a few sentences and then you're listening. Then it goes to the next person. This is the fourth person. And then I'll come back around to the first person. And then they will have um, heard other people and will be influenced by what they have to say. And then we'll maybe have something new and different to say. So in this way, kind of um, going round and around practicing um, listening as well as speaking and creating something together as the group, as opposed to one long monologue and then another long monologue and then, oh my goodness, we're gonna run out of time kind of thing. So um, for this group, we'll start, um, we'll go in alphabetical order. I'm not kind of uncreative this evening, I think I'm, but um, we'll start with um, alphabetical order in each group. So whoever's uh, the first letter of your screen name, um, closer to the letter A, you'll go first. Okay, so have fun. Okay, so welcome back. I hope that was interesting. And um, we'd love to hear if you have any overview comments, something to share your wisdom with a larger group. Um, this would be a chance to do that. Did you, learn yeah. Did you learn something? Did you find it surprising? Did you have a common theme in your group? Do you have some new best friends? <laughs> So Francis, I see, raised his, her hand, or their hand. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I started saying that I investigate when I have curiosity. And I left questioning for things I already know, but they have some spots that are not clear. Mm. But Michael told me, well, questioning is very good for investigating. When you're investigating, you, you can start making questions and, and 
that helps. So uh, for me, it was rewarding to open up my understanding that, okay, I can investigate and question at the same time. That's, that's better. So it was fine. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. Jerry, you have your hand up. Um, it seems to me like I don't really know uh, what I'm talking about. I'm more aware of it at the moment. But investigation, I, I think of investigation for the factors of awakening. Uh, and, and I see investigation as not an open heart and an open mind and necessarily insisting on an answer as much as a process and a way of engaging and awakening because awareness wants to just know. I just, I mean, that, that sort of Tanzania's thing is just awareness for awareness sake. So, and that to me is an investigatory process. Someone in the group used a metaphor of the plant growing, you plant the seed in, and when the, if I'm getting it right, the experience with the plant with the, is it's an investigation of how it's going to grow and what it's going to turn into. I like that one. I didn't come up with that kind of idea. Nice. Yeah, definitely the focus is on the questioning and the process and not really on the answer. <laughs> Susan. Well, I brought up a question that is on my mind, which is trying to understand not self, and it's been a long-term question. And Francis gave me two metaphors that he had heard, which I liked very much. And one of them was the flame of a candle, which is there and can burn you, and yet there isn't really anything solid there. And another is a wave, which is nothing more than water moving. There's nothing that constitutes the wave except it's ordinary water. And I said to myself, yeah, those are really neat seeming, but I still don't know what it means. And Francis said, without my having said that, and I still don't understand it, words to that effect. So I felt quite pleased with that part too. Nice. Nice. Yeah, and images can often be helpful in somehow shaping our process in, in doing this investigation. Fred? Uh, one of the themes that came up in our discussion was uh, like what... Oh, Fred, you've muted, yeah. Okay, there I just... Um, one of the things, the themes that came up in our group was... Um, and and Francis and Susan sort of touched on this too, is that, that willingness to, to live in the mystery and, and not have uh, an answer necessarily, have a conclusive answer. Um, and um, sort, of, sort of a healthy skepticism or an open mind or um, not jumping to conclusions. I guess it's a little bit about having the patience to to just be with something. And that's a, that's a particular challenge for me personally is uh, uh, just allowing things to be open and maybe. Nice, yeah. 
Lori? Another thing that came up in our group that really struck me was that early in your practice, your relationship to this topic is that you have a lot of questions um, early in your practice and your study, but as with time, you kind of shift more into investigation. Ah, so you see investigation as a ripening of questions into something different. Yeah, and we had also agreed that an investigation could involve a lot of questions, um, but the emphasis was different. Nice. Heidi? Uh, we talked about uh, investigation as uh, something that we do in different ways uh, in observing things and talking with other people and writing and also as a very important part of mindfulness meditation, that moment by moment investigation of what is here now, what, what, is, what is happening right now. Nice. That brings in the immediate part. Okay, I guess we would have time for one more if there was anything else, or if you have any questions about um, that have come up at this point. Lydia. I do have a question. After I heard everybody talking, I'm just wondering what is the difference between the curiosity and investigation? I wonder if curiosity is a precursor to the investigation. Because I know Jerry mentioned about the investigation is one of the seven factors. Um, curiosity, I don't think it's on any of the list, is it? any of the Buddha's list. So what is, um, what is the difference? Uh, uh, go ahead. So that's a great question, Lydia. And I think that we'll um, unpack this a little bit and talk about this a little bit. Like what is the relationship between curiosity and investigation and question? And, and, um, and, and, Notice how, um, like having these questions, how that maybe I'll just say now, even having that particular question, how does that feel? Like, hmm, what is the difference between curiosity and investigation? <laughs> so, without exactly answering it, maybe I'll just invite you to feel into that experience mm -hmm. for now, and we'll, we'll unpack and explore this. And what do you think, Kim? Should we, um, Go for a break. Should we have a break now? Yeah, we were thinking with the two hours on the computer is kind of a lot. And so um, if you'd like to take, let's say, like a six minute break and come back at 735 or, or so. So just a little bio break. We'll see you in a few minutes. So welcome back. Um, what we'll do now is a, a short meditation together. Um, so you can get yourself into 
your meditation seat or your meditation posture. And just take a moment to um, get settled and you can close your eyes. Maybe take a couple of long, slow, deep breaths. And on the exhale, just allowing any obvious tension to settle out of the body. Maybe feeling the place where you're sitting, your seat against the chair or the cushion, and your legs or your feet against the floor. And just have a sense of the stability of where you're sitting, allowing yourself to feel balanced and upright in this place where you're sitting. And then scanning through the body a bit to connect with it and soften, maybe noticing the expression on the face, softening that, softening around the eyes, the muscles in the forehead, the jaw, softening the eyes in the eye sockets. down through the neck, into the shoulders, letting the shoulders soften, maybe letting the shoulder blades slide down the back. And down the arms, into the hands. down into the torso, the chest area, heart and lungs. Releasing the diaphragm. Down into the belly, letting that be soft. And down into the legs, letting go of any sense of bracing, softening the knee joints, ankle joints, all the way into the feet. You can maintain a broad awareness of the body sitting, sense of the body in the sitting posture, and allow the mind to rest with the simple sensations of the body, could include the flow of the breath.
And if the mind feels busy, just gently returning to those simple body sensations. Letting the busyness of the thoughts dissolve into the into the body like into a pool of water. Allowing the body to feel soft to whatever degree it can right now. And for any parts that still feel tense or difficult to connect with, just have mental ease about that. Just resting with the body as it is, using that as a stable support for the mind to be at ease. As we settle in a bit more, we may gently open the awareness a little bit broader, maybe including the sounds in the area around us. Including some sense of our mental state, our mood.
sense of our body and mind sitting together. It's very natural as we sit that there will be thoughts in the mind. It's not a problem. It's just part of what the mind does. And in fact, in this meditation, it's of interest to observe the thoughts that we're having. They're like a flow, like the sensations in the body. Thoughts in the mind kind of flow along. And just as we might observe a feeling in the body, a sense of heat or a feeling of tightness, we can observe that there are certain thoughts in the mind. It takes some careful mindfulness to be able to observe thought, but we can. And we might notice whether our thoughts at this time, just right now, how they're manifesting, how many of them are questions compared to statements? Sensing the kind of the stance of the mind. How many of our thoughts are arguments or commands or just declarative statements about what something is or what it means?
It can help not to be too identified with our thoughts. Joseph Goldstein suggests imagining that our thoughts are coming from someone else. Simply appearing in the mind, who knows where they come from. And if the thoughts are not really there, they've quieted down, then just enjoy that. It's fine, but if some other thought appears, and see what it is. And we can always just come back and rest with the feelings in the body, the sensations of the breath. There are questions coming up. Are they skillful ones? And for the last couple minutes, just letting go of 
that specific practice of observing thoughts and just resting with the, the body and the breath, letting go. Maybe scanning through and seeing if there are any spots of tension and again, relaxing the body. an investigation of the thoughts of the mind, investigation and questions. So I'm curious if, if you have any comments on what you discovered about thoughts. I think Betsy has her hand up. Oh, okay, please. I found it really interesting, um, your suggestion from Joseph Goldstein um, of imagining that the thought that's coming up as coming from somebody else. Um, and I kind of reflected on that for a little bit and contemplated that and realized that a lot of a lot of times when insights come up during meditations, particularly during med meditations, um, it's, it's like they just come out of the blue. It's almost like they do come from somewhere else. Um, but it's just the natural arising of them. Um, so that was a really interesting suggestion. And it was a, yeah, it was interesting contemplation there. So I appreciated that. Kind of like intuition arising. Nice. But it's coming from somewhere out there. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, I think maybe the interesting part about that is this not having the feeling like, oh, I made this happen, right? Not having that feeling. Yeah, it's just, there's no self involved in that. Mm -hmm. It's just happening. And yeah, it just it just feels so fluid that way. Nice. It's so much more natural. Yeah. Heavy. So. so at least in this meditation, almost 
all of my thoughts were questions, but it was interesting to me because they had, um, and that's probably true a lot for me actually, but I really noticed these different qualities to different kinds of questions, right? Because there's a the kind of questions that's, there's an the information question like, will the city let us build a two-story shed thing? Like, why does nobody have two-story ADUs, right? There's like that kind of thing. And then there's, which my brother had just asked me like a few hours ago, it makes perfect sense that I was thinking about that. And then there's like another kind of question that really is anxiety. It's about anxiety. It's like, you know, I wonder if my son's done with his homework, <laughs> right? Which it's laced with anxiety. I mean, for, on, for so many different reasons. Um, and then there's other just sort of more, uh, what, and then you ask that question about, are they wise questions? And I'm like, yeah, these are not wise questions. <laughs> um, but then like, I can't think of an example right now, but I, I, like, I understood, and I don't know if I had very many wise questions in that meditation, but I do sometimes. That, like, there's a real different quality to, oh, like more, um, I don't know what I would call wise questions, even though I can't think of an example right now. So I just thought it was interesting, like the different uh, sort of emotional tones or, or um, feeling, feelings kind of either well, associated with in some way or another, the questions. Mm -hmm. Nice. Great observations. Jerry? Yeah. Um, I've been at a low point for two or three weeks now. Uh, so very contracted, actually. Not even realizing it. So, uh, and this is my fourth Dharma activity of the day. I'm sort of tired. But um, I started to think of the dog. I wasn't thinking. The thought came actually because I didn't want to start thinking. It's too late and tired. But that he investigates. That's who he is. And to me, that's part of the life force in the dog and humans. And I found myself uplifted by that. And that in the morning, tomorrow morning, he'll pull me in seven different directions. He has to know who was out during the night, you know, and he's satisfied doing that. And then I just sort of felt more awakening, just, just, and, and but I did get, um, I didn't get lost on the question of that investigation is, and it's, it's a factor of awakening, but it's an awakening factor. And it's who we are, that's what life is. And and because I had the eightfold, eight, eightfold path class today on dukkha, I don't know if dukkha is about craving or about not being connected. Because my dukkha really dropped when I just felt alive again and my heart was open and just connected to life and the world. But I didn't let myself start to ruminate with it. I could have, but I didn't. I just left the, and I thought, well, that's, that's pretty damn interesting. <laughs> I just let it be like that. Is that. Am I making any sense? You don't have to find it interesting. Am I making any sense? Yeah, it's, I hear a lot in what you're saying, actually. You're making several different points, but they're good about, about the engagement and life behind questioning. And then I'm not sure it's all about craving that leads to dukkha. It's, yeah, I think it's about feeling connected, feeling alive, feeling connected. 
Thank you, Jerry. And um, maybe if I can, I'd like to build on that. But uh, I just, I, I didn't know if somebody had their hand up that they wanted to speak or I don't want to cut anybody off. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I just want to expand a little bit what you all are already saying. And this is that uh, questioning or investigating isn't the same thing, isn't exactly the same thing, it's just trying to figure it out. And it's not the same thing as studying for exams, for example, of course, right? It's more about uh, inquiry. And um, here I'll use this word curiosity and to talk about what Lydia said. I mean, maybe technically we could say that curiosity is more um, as a focus on the individual. The individual is curious. They have this, uh, they want to know. As opposed to investigation, is not so much about the individual wanting to know. It's more about the emphasis is more on the object out there. But this can be a subtle thing. And, um, and I don't want us to get all tangled up in exactly what does this mean. I don't think that's necessarily what um, we're trying to do right now. But instead to point to, it's not the same as this... Um, trying to figure it out or studying for exams or speculate or think or, you know, this kind of, sometimes there can be a real pressure with our thinking. And instead, it's more of a stance. I think uh, Kim used that language in the guided meditation. And um, this idea about exams, uh, I kind of like this, uh, Kim brought th this to my attention. I had totally forgotten about this, this passage in the Majjhima Nikaya. And um, that somebody is talking to the Buddha, and they say, Sir, Venerable Sir, there are these clever aristocrats, Brahmins, householders, and ascetics, so a wide range of people, who come to see you with a question already planned. So they, you know, they have a very specific reason why they're going to see the Buddha. And sometimes there are stories where they want to trick the Buddha. So they come up with some of these uh, stories and some are just because they want to know the answer. So this person asks the Buddha, do you think beforehand that if they ask you like this, you'll answer like that? Or does the answer just appear to you on the spot? And then the Buddha, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, um, I'm not reading this uh, verbatim, but I'll say that, but the Buddha then replies, when people come to see me with a question already planned, the answer appears to me on the spot. Because I have clearly comprehended the Dharma, because I have done that, the answers just appear on the spot. So this idea that when you know something, then uh, it just arises, but it also points to this thing that we, um, what we're talking about here isn't having it all pre-planned out or having it all completely figured out beforehand, but instead having um, a willingness to have an answer on the spot. And I'll talk about this a little bit more. But another way that we might think about this is investigation is a way in which we um, can become intimate with our experience. It means that our attention has to like draw close and 
touch and connect with whatever the experience is. Like an investigation could be a way of looking or a way of being with our experience that's asking, whether it's uh, literally asking or whether it's more with an attitude of, what is here? What is this experience? What's actually going on? So it's more of a, um, a, a way in which if we're not connected to our experience, we don't ask those questions. The experiences are maybe just going by and we don't even notice them. But um, if we are questioning, it's a way in which we get connected and lean in in some kind of way to our experience. But not necessarily with a craving mind, but with an open heart, maybe with an openness. A, uh, um, I like this word curiosity. Partly part of the reason why I like the word curiosity is because um, it reminds me of when we often like how kids are curious and they want to know. And there's a sense of also playfulness or experimentation. So it's not so much like, oh, I have to figure it out and get it right and finally have it uh, neat and tidy and, you know, but instead this like, oh, what is this? What, what, what's happening? with an openness. So in this way, questioning or investigating, they bring a certain vitality, a certain energy or dynamism to our experience, as opposed to being kind of closed off or numb in some kind of way. For some people, and I certainly went through this stage, absolutely, I certainly have spent my time with this. For some people, this idea that to be in a good meditation is um, to be in kind of a soft, cottony place that's gauzy, but doesn't really connect it to the experience. And then which kind of like the energy has drained out and there's a kind of a numbness there. But instead, uh, I mean, there can be a way in which sometimes that's pleasant, but then the energy drains out and you discover, oh, this is a dead end. And you just feel kind of a little bit numb and disconnected uh, from your experience after something like that. So instead, to have this openness of curiosity is a way to really connect with our experience and also to bring the energy up. Not so much that it's um, agitating, but so much that we don't like sink into um, our energy. So in this way, you can counteract any inertia or passivity or trivializing that we might have of our experience and then bring instead bring in this sense of play and experimentation and i mentioned restlessness and sometimes it can bring a little bit of restlessness especially if the questions that we're asking are big bold questions it um, might uh, um, put a little uh, fire under us in some kind of way, but can we harness this energy? Can we let it to, um, support our practice? And maybe um, some of these big, bold questions might support us in coming back to the cushion or bringing what's happening in the cushion into our daily life or bringing some of this um, investigation and questioning to our daily life.
and or can we be okay if there is some restlessness like yeah I, this is actually important to me i haven't dared to ask these types of questions before but now that i do i discover that there's a it's important to me and there's can be a um a a wish to like find an answer but restlessness, many of you might know, is one of the last, I think it is actually the last uh, fetter to let go before we are completely awakened. So can we allow a little bit of this restlessness that might arise if we're asking big, bold questions and instead to allow this to support us? <laughs> of course, uh, many of us know that Socrates said that unexamined life is not worth living unexamined life is not worth living so in some ways to have questions is to examine their life but someone else said many years later said yeah but remember the examined life is no bed of roses either <laughs> so it's not like right that we're just because we're gonna have questions it's all gonna be smooth and and uh, all our all our questions are going to be answered but it's a way in which we are engaged with our life in which we are showing up for our life both on the cushion and off the cushion in some ways we might even say that to question is a certain expression of freedom that is it's um it's demonstrating that we're not locked in that we're not completely under the grip of our experience but if we can ask what is this or if we can ask questions whether they're quiet ones or big bold ones means that there's some freedom of thought and some freedom and within that experience so maybe we can use that to encourage us to engage with our life in a way that's um, asserting some freedom and that allows us to find our way as opposed to any feeling of stuckness or or dullness it can bring some uh, brightness in. and probably many of you know this that um, to question and to be open that what arises in response to these questions both of these activities kind of the questioning and the listening for the answer requires that we are being with our bodily experience there might be a um an assumption or when we hear this idea of question we might think like oh this is a mental activity is it something that you do with your mind or but instead there's a ways in which we can um, like open the heart and open the body and bring that as to the way to investigate and the way to find the answers also and this of course can be um, not only a corrective or uh, in contrast to just being in our mind but also is a way to, instead of an alternative to expecting all the answers from a teacher or expecting all the answers in that next Dharma book we're gonna read or expect all the answers um, just if I just meditate more or longer or go on this particular retreat or do this other practice or something like this to recognize that we can find so many answers by trusting ourselves and finding our way and this is such an integral part of the path 
right? Just trusting ourselves and finding our own way. And we do that by questioning and investigating. And also the way in which we are with the body is to um, learn about uh, how we are responding to what's happening in order. And then this can help us to respond in a way like, okay, is this in line with the Dharma? Is this leading to greater and greater freedom? Or is this leading to some contraction or less freedom? And it may be just that moment, there may be some uncomfortableness, but we might also have a sense that it's onward leading. So we can't just go by um, what's pleasant or unpleasant or what's contracting, what's expanding. So it's like a whole, we have to bring all aspects of ourselves, our wisdom, as well as our bodily experience, as well as, if I'm allowed to say this, as well as our heart in some kind of way, uh, kind of this openness of this. So with that as an introduction, I think that um, I'd uh, like us to just start with um, feeling in to um, our bodily sensations. And for some of you, this will be um, really familiar and you do this regularly. For some others of you, this might be a little bit new or however uh, the experience is for you. I just encourage you to relax. And I'm going to say something and then Kim will say something. So first, we'll begin by just um, settling into just sensations of the body, what it feels like to be here now. You don't have to be in a special meditation posture, but just checking in. How, how does it feel to be here right now? There's probably obvious sensations. Maybe there's a cat that's straight there. <laughs> Maybe you feel the pressure of the chair or the cushion against the body. Maybe there's some global experiences of how it is in the body. Maybe a little bit tired, maybe excited, maybe bored, maybe hungry, as well as there might be some specific beer. Maybe your back is wishing you were sitting in a different place. Maybe you feel comfy, cozy. Then I'll read a passage and just see how this lands in the body, what the experience is. And then Kim will read a different kind of passage. So this is a little passage, another one out of the Majjhima Nikaya. And the Buddha is given a simile. It's evocative, colorful. Suppose 
there were a pit of glowing coals deeper than a person's height, full of glowing coals that neither flamed nor smoked. Then the person would come along who wants to live and doesn't want to die, who wants to be happy and recoils from pain. Then two strong men would grab this person by the arms and drag them toward the pit of glowing coals. What do you think? Wouldn't that person writhe and struggle to and fro? Yes, venerable sir. Why is that? Because that person knows if I fall in that pit of glowing coals, that would result in my death or deadly pain. Just reflect on how that feels in the body. Here is a different sort of passage, also from the teachings from the Majjhima Nikaya. A meditator enters upon and abides in the second jhana. He makes the rapture and pleasure born of concentration drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body so that there is no part of the whole body unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure born of concentration. Just as though there were a lake whose waters welled up from below and it had no inflow from east, west, north, or south and would not be replenished from time to time by showers of rain, then the cool fount of water welling up in the lake would make the cool water drench, steep, fill, and pervade the lake, so that there would be no part of the whole lake unpervaded by cool water. So too, a meditator makes the rapture and pleasure born of concentration drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body, so that there is no part of the whole body unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure born of concentration. Taking the time to really feel that in the body.
So now we'd like to just hear a few words, uh, how that was for you all. Any comments on these two different passages? You feel the difference in the body? Hi. Hi. Uh, I found the first reading just vividly unpleasant. I felt my skin was practically um, like an octopus creating spikes of just aversion and fear. It was very vivid, just how tense it made me. And then the second uh, reading gave me an, um, sensations of great smoothness. It was like all the spikes were smooth and, and soothed and, and I felt the coolness. It was a surprisingly vivid experience. Thank you, Heidi. I'm glad that we did the Jonah one after the uh, charcoal coal pit, right? <laughs> I see the blue hand or Mary. goes back with, to before the um, meditations we just did. So if, um, I just want to share that sitting with the question of questions and investigations and kind of playing with the interplay of the two and maybe even speaking to Betsy Blessing's comments about, you know, out of the blue things that come through the mind. I, my experience has been that um, investigation is much more roomy and has lots of space in it for me to live with not knowing, whereas questions, while they can be quite potent and interesting and lead to investigation, are not as, um, I don't lean into questions as much as I like to lean into investigation. And yet there they are sort of rated together in some of this inquiry we're doing. And after Diana had spoke, I don't know how many times the word investigation, <laughs> it occurred to me, it floated in my head from that out of the blue place, a question about investigation. And it's simply, I'm kind of a wordsmith, so it's simply, can I invest in this gate? You know, can I, can I give something, my time, my energy, my interest to what could be a gate? So investigate now has a whole other dimension of meaning because of tonight. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Invest in this gate. Nice. Nice. Thank you. It's beautiful. I love it. there any other comments or questions? I think Betsy has another comment. That was really interesting similes to me. Um, part of it 
the one with the coals was really interesting to me because I recently learned of a friend of mine um, just had a really horrific experience with a propane explosion. Um, he lives in a different state and it was, he lives in a TP and a propane explosion happened around his gas stove. Um, and his entire face was burned and his back was burned. His hands were burned very badly. Um, and in writings that he did about that experience, um, he's a very deep practitioner, um, both of the Buddha and of um, indigenous medicines, so to speak. Um, and he's gone through a lot of practices um, and in his writings of the incident, he said he could actually watch his hands, the skin on his hands unfold in the burns. And he did this without feeling it, without freaking out, without, without the reactionary impulses that I think most people would have. Um, so while you were speaking about the experience of being grabbed by these two people and being dragged to the coal, my initial feelings were of, you know, fear and terror, but yet then I thought of Eric and went, could I possibly do that? Could I ever get to a state where if I was thrown in those coals to actually be with the experience and not freak out into it? So, and, and then Kim's imagery of floating in the cool water and allowing that, it was like, it just, it just squelched all the coals. <laughs> Um, and all the burns and my heart just leapt out for Eric hoping that he was also being able to experience the coolness of the genre state of the coolness so it was a really interesting kind of journey for me to hear both of those I'm sorry about your friend Betsy that's that's quite something uh, he's a remarkable man. He is healing. Um, he is healing amazingly fast and amazingly well. Good, good. Um, and it's just, yeah, I can't. I can't imagine going through it the way he did. Uh, just. Well, I, I heard in your question one of the big questions Diana asked: Could I be in a mental state where something like that could happen, and my mind would be unshaken? That's a big question, and that's actually a very legitimate Buddhist practice question. What would a mind like that be like? Uh, I hope I never have to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I hope none oh. of us have to find out. <laughs> Looking at the time, I, I um, thank you, by the way, for all of your comments, really, everyone. 
I want to honor our time in particular because I'm aware that there's a couple, some people who are joining us from later time zones, even the Eastern time zone where it's 1130 right now. So um, we do need to finish on time. And um, we'll send you a follow-up email that has a few readings in it um, to, of suttas that will um, that maybe flesh out some of these ideas and also give us a little preview of what we'll do next time. But in addition, um, and this will be in the email too, but let me, let me say it, there will be some exercises for your daily life. And there's two in particular. One is to just become aware of the role of investigations in your life and practice. You know, it's something that feels natural. A lot of people immediately identified with, oh yeah, I do that all the time. Notice when, you know, when do you do it? In what areas do you do it? And how do you do it? So just kind of noticing the role of questions. And then also to continue working with the impact of language in the body. We use language all the time. We talk with people, we read things, all kinds of things. Um, and so just starting to notice how those, we listen to things on the internet. Are we aware of our body? Are we feeling the tensions that's creating? Or Because we, we respond based on what's happening in the body sometimes. And if we're not aware of that, things can, um, can affect the response. Okay. So, honoring the time, are there any really last final comments, especially from Diana? No. no. Okay. Wonder if you guys want to post links for Donna to be offered um, for your teachings tonight? Oh, it's a little complex. Let me let me put it in the email because um, there'll be two of them. So, thank um, you. Would that work? It'll, it'll come tomorrow. It, it'll be quick. It's still, still within the zone. <laughs> Thank you All for right. the offerings. Thanks, everyone. Be well. Feel free to unmute and say goodbye. Hey, do you want to unmute us all, Kim? Oh, I can do that. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 everybody. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.